0: Welcome to Todd's World. Thanks for joining me. I'm Todd Allen, and today we have Witness, The End of All Things, Episode 2, Elle Tells Her Story. This is an original audio fiction series about the end times, written and performed by me. Don't miss the companion podcast on Wednesday, where Will, Carrie, and Lauren join me to delve into this week's episode. It's amazing how much the podcast adds to the richness of the story, even for me. And I wrote it, so you're definitely going to like it. If you haven't listened to Insurrection yet, go back and do it. It's so good. All the episodes for the first season of Insurrection are available. This show is now available pretty much wherever you get podcasts. You can subscribe directly on Apple or Spotify, or you can go to Supercast todsworld.supercast.com and you can sign up and listen to the episodes on whatever your preferred podcast distributor is. Apple is like butter smooth like Apple always is. Spotify kind of hit or miss on the subscription process. Uh so if you struggle with that, go to Supercast or if you want to listen to it on Google Play or whatever, go to Supercast todsworld.supercast.com It's an easy process, and then you choose and you link the podcast to whatever podcast distributor you you want to listen on. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Todd's World 2023, and also on Truth Social at The Todd Allen Show. Also on, what's the other one? TikTok at Todd's World 2023. You can find clips of the show, share them with your friends. Also look for us at Todd's World on Substack. Go to todsworld.net and check out the uh, Insurrection and Witness merch. I just put some new Witness merchandise up, Uh, new T-shirts, whatever. Super cool. Go check them out. We also have some original Trump 2024 gear just for fun because, you know, you know Trump's going to be the nominee, so you might as well start wearing it now. Uh, As always, the disclaimer. This is a work of fiction. All names, characters, businesses, places, and events, even those based on real people or events, are entirely fictional. The product of the author's well-honed imagination. Any resemblance to actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental and fictional. And we don't encourage or promote Violence. We just enjoy it in Todd's world. Thanks again for joining me, guys. I give you the second episode of Witness. <laughs> Episode 2, Elle Tells Her Story. Not so very long ago, the animal had been a wolf. It had known it was a wolf in the instinctual way animals know such things. The idea of not being a wolf never occurred to it in the way ideas of such a nature never would occur to an animal. But it had known it was sick. It knew the moment it happened. And it understood in an animal's way this wasn't the kind of sickness from which a wolf recovered. This was the kind of sickness that took over more and more of the animal until the sickness was all, and then the darkness came. And for this sick wolf, the darkness was very close. What remained of the wolf lay beside the stream in the fallen yellow birch leaves, with the slender white trunks of the birch trees forming a silent, swaying audience to the creature's suffering. The wolf's long jaw of white teeth hung open, and its bright red tongue lolled onto the leaves. Its eyes half open, lifeless and hazy, like storm clouds in a darkening autumn sky watched the water running in the stream with no interest. It needed cool water to drink, but every movement it made was a bright, blinding flash of pain. The transformation was nearing the end. The wolf's body was bloated and swollen, nearly twice the size it had been when it was healthy. The animal's muscles bulged under red skin and its hair had separated into patches, leaving wide swaths of stretched, inflamed skin exposed. The animal's teeth and claws had lengthened to the point where it hurt the wolf to eat and walk, and the pain had enlarged until it filled the animal's entire world, and what was left of the wolf's consciousness had retreated to the smallest corner of its existence. Soon, the pain would be all. The demon detested inhabiting animals, but the instructions had been clear. Somewhere in the woods, a threat waited. The demon's job was to neutralize the threat to the kingdom. The wolf's body was just a shell to be transformed and used and then discarded. The demon cared nothing about the animal's pain. The demon enjoyed pain. The demon knew only pain and suffering and it spread the infection wherever and to whomever or whatever it could. Once, so long ago it could hardly remember, the demon had known something other than the pain and evil and suffering. But it had given in. The infection had taken over. And now the infection, the evil, was all. The demon and the infection Were one and the same. If the demon had a name, it didn't matter. It had shed all of that puffery, all the pretension of personhood. It was now little more than a virus, sickness honed to the point of a spear, a spiritual weapon possessing no more individuality than a rifle cartridge or a cruise missile. It existed only to destroy. The wolf was almost gone, but it didn't matter. The demon would use the transformed shell of the wolf's body to destroy the threat waiting in the woods, then move on to the next host and the next target. The virus of evil would continue its mindless march through the world of men, infecting and destroying every vestige of humanity until the virus was all and in all. The wolf's consciousness re-emerged again, and the animal dragged itself to the water's edge and drank, cooling its tongue with the cold, clear water, seeking a moment's relief. But the job was almost done. Soon, the wolf would be gone, and the demon would take the wolf's body for one final ride into the sunset. Lucas Young sat on the front porch of the cabin in his old rocking chair that had weathered the last three decades surprisingly well, though not nearly as well as the man currently planted on the seat. He hadn't aged a day. A steaming cup of freshly brewed coffee waited on the small teak table next to the chair. He had intended to hold his coffee, but found his hands were shaking too bad when he tried so he left it on the table between sips and worried his hands together in his lap while the young woman's strange story sank in. The crazy tale couldn't be true. But then, she didn't seem like the kind to lie. Besides, there were other things that were off. He was definitely at his cabin, on his property, but nothing was exactly as he had left it, and the cabin felt older somehow. The cedar siding was more weathered and faded. Years had taken a toll on the already old hangar. Abandoned buildings have a distinctive feel, an aura of forgotten emptiness. Ellie, or L, as she apparently went by now, had maintained the place well enough, but there was no substitute for even semi-regular use. His old truck was still in the garage, and many of his old tools and equipment but there were other things in the garage now as well. A bright plastic kayak, for instance, and fishing gear. Lucas had enjoyed fishing on occasion, but he never considered himself a fisherman. He had a pole and an old tackle box, but he rarely used them. Now there were multiple rods and a newer, larger tackle box, even a black graphite fly rod, and Lucas had never been fly fishing. He reached for his coffee again trying to settle his trembling hands as best he could. Al had shed her camouflage and showered and changed clothes, and she watched the older man next to her closely as he stared at the woods and drank his coffee. The cup trembled slightly in his hands, though he tried his best to hide it. After her initial breakdown on the airstrip, she had gathered herself and driven her quad back down the trail to the cabin. She had offered the man a ride, but he had declined. He preferred to walk. It felt like it had been a long time since he had walked alone in the northern Michigan woods. Besides, he needed to put the plane in the hangar, and he would appreciate it if she took his bags with her on the quad, which she did, of course, though even as she secured the two duffel bags, she was sure she was dreaming. So far, at least, it was a good dream the best dream she had had in as long as she could remember. So she tied the bags onto the back rack of the four-wheeler along with her bow and backpack and took off for the cabin. It never occurred to her to be cautious or wary of the strange man who claimed to be her grandfather reincarnated. Such thoughts fell out of place, further reinforcing the dreamlike nature of the present encounter. Still, When she was back at the cabin, parking the quad in the garage and carrying the man's bags up to the porch, she couldn't help wondering if she would ever see him again. What do I do with his bags if he disappears again? she wondered, then laughed nervously at her own tangled thoughts. At least when the vanishing happened, it had affected nearly everyone around the world in some way or another. So, in the face of an unexplained mystery, there was at least the camaraderie of shared experience. But this, this was just insane. A whole new level of crazy just for her. Well, she did have one companion on the journey down the rabbit hole. The strange man who had dropped out of the sky purporting to be her late grandfather. So you're Ellie, my five-year-old granddaughter all grown up, and I somehow pulled a Rip Van Winkle for 30 years? That's what you're telling me? His voice trembled like his hands, but just around the edges. He tried to compose himself, not let his mind race down a thousand different rabbit trails of insanity. El just looked at him with her big blue eyes and nodded to the affirmative. Lucas sighed, closed his eyes, and rubbed his face with his hands again. You know how crazy this all sounds, he asked. El's eyes stayed focused on him and she nodded again. So what year is this supposed to be? He asked. 2032, she answered. You took off on your final flight in 2002, Lucas said, finishing her sentence. I'm well aware. But Rip Van Winkle at least had aged. He had a long white beard when he finally came back to town. I look and feel exactly like I did when the plane left the ground 30 years ago. Another nod from L, acknowledging his words if not understanding any of it. And you've been taking care of the place since I what disappeared? He looked at her closely now, searching for holes in her story. L turned her eyes toward the woods. A stray tear welled in her left eye, and she sighed as she wiped it away. Yes, something like that. What about your father? Where is he? Al breathed in deep and exhaled long and slow. It, it's all too much. I don't think you're ready for that story just yet. More tears welled, waiting. I can't imagine it's any crazier than what you've already told me. Lucas replied. Elle finally looked back at him. She had tears in her eyes. She bit her lip and shrugged. Then the tears began to fall again. Lucas put his hand over hers and squeezed it. It'll be okay, Ellie, he said, hoping he was right, having no idea at that moment whether anything would ever be all right again. Elle cried quietly for a few minutes before she composed herself again. Give me a second, she said, going into the house to use the bathroom and clean her face up again. When she came back out, the man who claimed to be her grandfather was still in the rocking chair, and she was glad. If it was a dream, she wanted to stay. She had gathered herself enough to give the story a try, at least. She sat down in the chair next to him, took in a long breath, and let it out all at once. When did it all begin, she asked herself, following her thoughts back in time. Almost five years ago now, I guess. It doesn't feel like it's been that long, but time is funny like that. No one even knew what was happening at first. Stories started popping up in newspapers and on local TV news segments, the kind that run at 5.30 before the real news starts at 6. Elle paused and took a sip of her coffee. She didn't want to tell the whole story, to go back and relive it all again. But she was only in a dream with her dead grandfather, and she wanted to stay in the dream as long as possible, so she would tell the story if that was what it took. Everything seemed to start with COVID. The entire world felt like it began to shift. COVID? Lucas said questioningly, having no reference point for the story she had started to tell. Al sighed and went back a bit further. In 2020, the final year of Trump's first term as president. Trump? Lucas asked. As in Donald Trump? Donald Trump was president? He felt like he really had fallen down the rabbit hole. Al smiled and took another sip of her coffee. Yes, Donald Trump. At first, I think everybody kind of felt that way but it wasn't long before we all began to take him very seriously. He entered the Republican presidential primary like a blowtorch, and he never let up. There was a huge field of really qualified, El air quotes with her fingers around the word and continued, candidates, senators and sons of ex-presidents, quasi-successful state governors, The talking heads in the media all expected Trump to flame out after a few contests, but Trump only continued to rise in the polls. Once he took the lead, he never relinquished it. And when the voting started, it was never really even close. The conservative base fell in love with Donald Trump and he loved them right back. Elle smiled again, thinking back to 2016. Trump's first presidential run his march through the primaries. It had all been so unexpected, almost magical at the time. The working class flocked to Trump in droves. He reassembled the old Reagan conservative base, although I was never around to see Ronald Reagan. The old Gipper, Lucas said, staring off into the woods again as he listened. Walking back in time himself to the 1980s, when America stood alone as the greatest country on the face of the earth, despite the Soviet Union barely hanging on for most of the decade. Reagan was special. So was Trump, Al said. He rekindled something in people that they hadn't felt since the 80s. His campaign slogan was Make America Great Again. Lucas smiled. I like that. So did a lot of the country. People like us who work hard and care about America and its founding. Anyway, Trump ended up running against Hillary Clinton. Lucas's smile faded, and his face looked like he had bit into a particularly sour lemon. I I know, that's how we all felt. The Wicked Witch of Arkansas. No one in the media thought Trump had a chance. Except Rush Limbaugh, who was on board the Trump train from the moment he came down the escalator with Melania. Lucas looked confused by the references, but Elle soldiered on with her story. She couldn't encapsulate 30 years for the stranger who had dropped out of the sky in the space of one afternoon. And if she was going to get to the hard part about the vanishing, she had to keep going. Anyway, in the beginning of 2020, the last year of Trump's first term, rumors began swirling about a new respiratory virus in China. Just a few stories here and there at first. Some of the pictures coming out of China were frightening. Entire cities shut down in an attempt to stop the spread of the virus. There were reports of vast numbers of dead and dying. But the news was so filtered. It hardly made a dent in the American consciousness. In the United States, the holidays went on as they always did. All the hustle and bustle and busyness of the season families and presents and stockings hung by the chimneys with care. There was no sense that a new danger was lurking in the world, ready to pounce once the presents were opened and the trees put away for the season. By February, the virus had spread beyond China. Italy was the first country where COVID took hold in the West. Suddenly, the story went from a mention inside the fold somewhere to the front page. Reports of mass infection, pictures and video of hospitals crowded to overflowing, patients lining the hallways. The dead piled up outside the hospitals because the morgues and the mortuaries couldn't keep up with the rising tide of dead bodies. President Trump banned all travel into America from China, and the media howled accusations of racism. But that was nothing new. But of course, none of it worked. The virus showed up here anyway, and everywhere else in the world. The world was too interconnected to effectively keep a retrovirus at bay for long. By March, the virus was everywhere. And then the first of the interminable lockdowns began. Lockdowns? Lucas turned to her once more and his eyes were questioning. Elle paused for another drink of coffee. Longer this time. Her coffee was cooling. If she didn't want to warm it up in the microwave, she'd have to drink faster. Lucas's coffee was already gone, but she had brought him a glass of water, too, and he seemed content to sip on water while she told her story. America shut down to stop the spread of the pandemic. Any businesses deemed non-essential closed. Schools closed. Churches closed. Mom and pop restaurants closed their dining rooms and switched entirely to takeout. People listened to the government, believed the government knew things about the virus they didn't, and had their best interest at heart, all of which turned out to be lies. Did your parents die from this COVID virus? Lucas asked, trying to put the pieces together. No, they got sick, but recovered fairly quickly. Neither of them got sick enough to go to the hospital, and they probably wouldn't have anyway. During COVID, hospitals were where people went to die. And there was more, so much more. Too many people lost too much, and they couldn't bring themselves to believe it had all been for nothing. So they chose to believe the lies. Even as it became progressively more and more obvious, the lies were just that. But COVID set the stage for what came later. Lucas rubbed his eyes with a hand still showing signs of shakiness. How could all of that happen in America? Al just shrugged. It wasn't just America. It happened like that in countries all across the world. Some, like Australia, were far worse. The pandemic, another set of air quotes, became the watchword for anything and everything when the government needed an excuse for some failure. And by and large, people accepted it. That's the point. The masses were conditioned to check their brains at the door, and far too many dutifully did. Five years later, when a real worldwide crisis emerged, people were more than ready to believe whatever the media and the government told them. Then the vanishing started. Elle took a deep breath and rose from her chair. This is the intermission. She said, smiling, I'll get you some more coffee if you'd like. I may have another cup myself, but I'm going to add a sidecar of something stronger for the next part of the story, if you don't mind. Or even if you do, I guess. Her smile got bigger, and Lucas was struck by her beauty. This young woman was definitely Ellie, all grown up. But the growing up had been hard. He knew that. He felt the pain behind the words, and the part coming up had been the worst. Somehow he knew that too. Her big smile was her shield, hoping to keep some of the pain at bay for a while. Lucas smiled back, a shield of his own. He may have disappeared for 30 years. He still couldn't accept or really even begin to comprehend the idea, but the cards were starting to show themselves but he was still a father preparing to hear about the death or demise of his son and his daughter-in-law. He was struggling to keep it together for Elle right now, but inside his soul was adrift. I'll have some more coffee, he said, and something stronger. Whiskey, if you have it. And I'll take you up on that bathroom break as well. Three for three, Ellie. At that moment, she knew. This man who dropped out of the sky was her grandfather. Not her grandfather in some waking dream, but the actual person. The man who had flown away that sunny fall afternoon 30 years ago, promising her he would come home soon, had somehow flown back into her life. He looked the same. Perhaps he was the same for all she knew. But what she did know was it was him. They both knew and told each other with their eyes all that came later everything they would live to see together began in that moment the intermission stretched out and all decided to make lunch and they ate together and talked together and the minutes turned into hours and the intermission took up most of the afternoon lucas listened a lot and asked many questions so much had happened and changed in 30 years Every rabbit trail led to five other trails, and together they followed the rabbit, knowing they were both closing in on the inevitable and avoiding it at the same time. When the sun's shadows had lengthened outside and only an hour of daylight remained, Elle suggested they go for a walk. I think it's time to talk about dad and mom and the vanishing, she said, but let's take a walk while we do. She looked up at him her grandfather, who had been lost and was now found, and her eyes teared up. It's going to be hard. You're going to have a lot more questions than I have answers. Most of what I have left are questions. Most of what all of us have left are questions. Answers are few and far between in the world these days. Lucas hugged her, but she pushed him away. No, she said, shaking her head. We have to do this. The hugging and the crying can come later, but first I have to tell it, and you have to hear it, and I need to walk while we talk. So they put on their boots and jackets, and as the evening rolled into nightfall, under the lengthening shadows of the trees, they walked. Neither spoke much for the first ten minutes. Lucas walked and listened to the sound of their footfalls on the leafy path, waiting for his granddaughter to get her bearings. Elle was waiting too, for something. She didn't know what, and whatever it was, she never found it. And after 10 minutes, she finally started at something that felt like the beginning. As I said, no one knew anything was happening at first. Stories started popping up here and there in local papers, on the news reports at the top of the hour on local radio stations, of missing persons, strange disappearances. An older woman in Gaylord disappeared from an assisted living facility. She had gone out for a walk and never came back. They gave a brief description and asked for anyone with any information on the missing woman to call the local police. A 38-year-old man in Kalkaska, an assistant coach for the local high school football team, didn't show up at practice one afternoon. He was an insurance agent, a deacon at the Baptist Church a loving husband and father, and he was nowhere to be found. The police looked everywhere, shook every tree and bush, no secret drug habit or gambling debts, nothing suspicious at all. It was like he just disappeared one sunny afternoon. I remember those two because they were the first stories I heard that stuck with me, the first faint echoes of things to come. Neither were ever found, Lucas asked. No one was ever found, Elle said simply. But it all started so quietly, completely under the radar. Just a few people here and there at first, but then the disappearances began to grow. Maybe multiply is a better word. It started as a trickle, but it grew steadily day after day until it turned into a flood. Elle lapsed into silence for a minute or two, collecting her thoughts, sorting through her memories, and Lucas let her sort them out. There would be time for questions later. First, she had to tell the story, and he had to hear it. I brought up COVID earlier because the disappearances followed a similar pattern. Just a few stories here and there at first, but the stories kept coming. More and more people suddenly came up missing. There were no common threads between the stories, not at first, but eventually similarities began to bubble up to the surface. In the days and weeks leading up to the disappearances, many of the missing persons seemed to have grown quieter, more contemplative. Many reported random calls or letters from the people in the days before they came up missing, expressing their love to those close to them, encouraging their family not to worry if something were to happen to them. There was no agitation, no frightening premonitions. Prior to vanishing, those who were taken seemed more at peace to those around them than they had been in years. But if this strange peacefulness should have been comforting to those left behind, it had almost the opposite effect. Speaking from my own experience, the aura of peace and almost tranquility around those who went missing was unnerving and disquieting. Lucas glanced at his grown granddaughter walking beside him from the corner of his eye. They were getting to the heart of the story now, and he worried about her, but she soldiered on. Within a few months, it became obvious something strange was going on, something unprecedented, unseen by humanity since the beginning of time. People were simply vanishing into thin air from all over the world. Police departments were overwhelmed with reports of missing persons. There was no evidence of foul play, no leads to find and follow, no witnesses to any abductions, just more and more random people coming up missing. As the disappearances escalated and no explanations were forthcoming from any governments or law enforcement agencies, anger and anxiety and panic began to build parents stopped sending their children to school, unwilling to risk never seeing them again after they boarded the long yellow school buses. The supply chain and services began to buckle under the strain as pilots and truckers and workers of all kinds stopped showing up to work, either because their husbands or wives or kids refused to let them out of their sight or because they had already disappeared. Al snuck a hand up to wipe a stray tear from her eye but she didn't stop. She was lost in the story now. It's amazing how fast the fabric of society can fray. I never would have thought so much could slip sideways so quickly if I hadn't watched it happen. Food shortages cropped up along with shortages of diesel and then gasoline. Cable news talking heads talked openly on the air about the coming breakdown of civilization. The governments of the world understood their citizens needed answers, and fast. An emergency meeting at the United Nations was called, and for the first time in memory, the whole world was watching and holding its breath. As the world's lone remaining superpower, all eyes focused especially on America. On the second day of the emergency general session, the President of the United States presented evidence of extraterrestrial terrorism lucas stopped in the middle of the trail and looked at ellen incredulously. aliens are you serious Elle just shrugged i know how crazy it sounds but the world was desperate and the evidence they presented was eye-opening american chinese russian and israeli military surveillance had all picked up a substantial increase in ufo traffic Over the previous 18 months, high definition pictures and video of round spherical crafts hovering, pulsing with light, darting at incredible speeds, found their way to screens all across the globe. And in the face of the unexplainable, any explanation was plausible with nothing else to believe in the people believed the unbelievable governments across the world had found their story. And together with the media, they began to spin their wild tales. A new global war on terror. And suddenly, the whole world was on a wartime footing. Lucas found the story beyond incredible, and he shook his head. Extraterrestrial terrorism. What in the world? Or out of the world, I suppose you could say, Elle said. The alien abduction story wasn't universally accepted. Other theories bubbled up. The most prominent alternative came from evangelical churches. Something like a slow-motion rapture was taking place. But it says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Lucas said. Not over the course of months and years. That was one of the big tripping points, Elle said. What was happening didn't look anything like the rapture stories spun by white-haired preachers in their starched white shirts with their colorful posters of angels and bowls. Kirk Cameron wasn't coming to the rescue while planes fell out of the sky and driverless cars crashed all over the nation's roadways. Kirk Cameron. Lucas smiled at the reference to the left-behind books and movies. Al shrugged again but smiled this time. It did seem like many of those who vanished had connections to Christianity, but by no stretch all. Still, that worked against the theory. Churches began closing. With half their membership gone, the other half found it hard to go to church surrounded by empty pews that used to hold family and friends. After all, why had they been left behind? Having perfected the art of censorship during COVID, and then the stolen election of 2020, the government-aligned media, along with big tech, clamped down on any stories not towing the party line. So, the world went to war against E.T., and in a strange way, many found comfort in the idea. There was someone to blame, at least, something else to focus on. Coincidentally, at least I think it was merely coincidence, the disappearances peaked soon after the whole world agreed upon the extraterrestrial terrorism story, and as slowly as it began, the phenomenon began to wind down. A year and a half after it had all started, it was nearly finished. We thought we were out of the woods. Your mom and dad, you mean? Tears swarmed in Lucas's eyes as he thought about his son, but he fought them back. Al nodded. I started noticing the signs just after the first of the year, January, 2028. They were quieter, more content. They smiled more often at each other. And when they touched, they seemed to have found a closeness between them that had been lost for years. The peaceful happiness was the worst because I couldn't be upset with them for it. But I also knew this was how it started. We had lost multiple friends and family already by that point, and I became obsessive, calling them four or five times a day, always finding some excuse to drop in. I became almost frantic in my efforts to hold them here, and it seemed to work until February. I had stopped by for supper the night before, and Mom and Dad were even quieter than normal. Before I left for the night, I hugged them both long and hard, And when I pulled away, I saw tears in dad's eyes, almost like he knew, although he couldn't have known. Here, I'll stopped walking and hung her head. The tears were back like old friends home for a familiar visit. She was back. It was so hard. She hated going back. But here she was reliving it all again. Lucas went to her and touched her arm. A tear rolled down his left cheek, leaving a watery trail on his skin. He started to speak, to tell her she didn't have to finish, but she held up a hand and stopped him. I woke up the next morning and I knew. I don't know how, but I knew they were gone. I called their phones and no one answered. I rushed over to the house, but it was empty, like I knew it would be. A fresh pot of coffee was brewed, and two clean cups set out on the table, but Mom and Dad were nowhere to be found. They vanished, just like all the rest. And I... Elle trailed off as the words failed her. She was crying now. She looked up at her grandfather, tears streaming down both of their faces. And I was all alone, left behind. Lucas hugged her to himself in the twilight. The woods rose up around them, and together they cried for a father and a mother and a son and a daughter, for a family that once was and a hurt that had closed over but never healed. You're not alone anymore, Ellie, girl, Lucas whispered, his voice harsh and choked from tears. Elle opened her mouth to answer, but the words turned into a scream when the brush on the other side of the trail exploded and a monster from the pit of hell broke onto the trail. The wolf's body bulged with muscle and red skin and lonely patches of long gray fur. The eyes glowed red in the dusky twilight of the woods, and when it opened its mouth to roar, it sounded like a lion transplanted from the plains of Africa to the northern hardwoods and evergreens of Michigan. A fury of long white fangs and teeth lunged at them, and her grandfather turned to face the monster. In the half-light under the trees, it seemed to Elle that Lucas grew, and something in him changed. His eyes glowed with a light all their own, clean and pure, shining out from him. Her grandfather put up an arm to shield himself, and the wolf-like creature bit into his forearm. With the wolf's teeth still embedded in his forearm, Lucas grabbed the animal by the back of the neck and with both arms threw the massive wolf to the ground so hard Al heard the animal's back break. The wolf's jaw let go and Lucas's arm was torn and bloody but free. The wolf-like creature writhed on the ground, pawing the air and snapping its huge mouth against the night. Lucas stood over it, his chest heaving, his arm pouring blood his eyes still shining in the advancing darkness. Then the thing that had not long ago been a healthy wolf spoke. The voice rattled like dead leaves in the winter wind, but louder, so much louder, a roar of pain and anger. You will fail, witness, and you will die. The world will burn, and the girl will die because of you. The language was ancient, but somehow El understood. When her grandfather replied, it was in another language, older even than the other. But still, El understood. The world may burn, but not before you. Then he stretched out his injured arm toward the wolf-like creature and spoke one last word. Fire. What remained of the wolf exploded into flames, and the demon inside the creature screamed. Elle watched as a dark shadow rose from the wolf's burning body and hovered over them for just a moment before the wind kicked up and the shadow was blown away. Then the light went out of her grandfather's eyes. He shrunk back to his normal frame, and the man she had lost so long ago, who had only just returned, collapsed on the trail at l's feet unconscious l turned for the cabin and began to run